guest and basically producer any roles that exist on this show is me so (laughs) hopefully you like me in all of those ways um i've been listening to old old episodes of this show i'm doing a little project i don't want to reveal what that project is because when it debuts far too late i i think the impact will be much greater um however um, I have figured out what the premise of this show really is. Um, sort of what it turned into against my wishes or will or plans. By the way, I read this. Okay, so those of you who enjoy an iced coffee know that um, it doesn't turn out as good when you like make a hot coffee and then convert it into an iced coffee, right? It's much better if you cold cold brew it or whatever. And uh, you look up recipes to do it quick. And so then first of all, someone will be like, oh, uh, make coffee and then turn it into ice cubes. So then you can put it in your coffee and it doesn't like water it down. And I'm like, I wouldn't be looking up how to make quick iced coffee if I had that much forethought. Now, would I? Um, thanks for not answering the question. The other, um, so then I looked one up and it's like one of these recipes. I just wrote a thing making fun of this not very long ago. Hold, hold your horses, take your horses, hold them while I look up this thing. Cause I'm guessing most of you didn't see it. Cause you know, most people don't see most things. There's a lot to see out there. So much to do, so much to see. What's wrong with taking the back streets? Uh, let's see. Okay, this is a, this is my version of making fun of these. So the, you see a lot of recipes. So like I'll look up a recipe for iced coffee. Or I was looking up a recipe for... It doesn't matter what it was. Every recipe is like 18 pages of text telling you about like the story of how they got this recipe. And then at the end, it's just like a quick recipe. And you're like, motherfucker, just tell me what the recipe is. No one cares about this, like, story that you're telling me. And it's got a bunch of, you know. So I did one, my perfect recipe for perfect summer lemonade every time. And my hope is that people will come and find this and then think it's going to actually be that. And then it's totally not. Um... It's summer, and that means it's time for everyone's favorite drink. And also, it's time for lemonade. Lemonade is something I have a personal connection with. I know, it seems like I have a personal connection with most of the foods on here. I have a connection with most foods that exist. Specifically, my mouth connects them. To my tummy, and then later, butthole. But we're talking about lemonade today, so I think that connects more with my pee hole. I'm not sure. Maybe shit is some percent the stuff you drink. 
I tried to search online and found out what the percentages were. But then I got sidetracked. Sidetracked and aroused. Then there's a picture of lemons with a caption. Lemonade tip. When you get off track on your food blog, just include a picture. It makes a visual break and hopefully makes people forget how much you just talked about being aroused by stoolin. My lemonade story involves rustic charm, a little bit of cuteness, and lemonade, and a story. When I was a kid, I thought I needed to make some money for kid stuff. Like, for example, I had this idea to take the address of a house that wasn't occupied yet, and I'd get Playboy delivered there, and then I'd get a couple months of Playboy. This was before pornography was a click away, when you had to work for it, and it was three issues from a year-long subscription, and maybe you get the issue where Marge Simpson is the centerfold. I like Marge and all, but I don't need to explain how that's not the same. Uh, Maybe it's time for another picture. So then there's a picture. To make money, I thought, hey, lemonade stand. I got a card table and a poster board that had my science project on one side, and the other side was mostly empty except for the pencil outline of my original science project, which was about the science of getting your hands on Playboy through a method that turns out to be sort of mail fraud, and it turns out it's not science in any way. Um, Then here I included some embedded advertisements because that's another hallmark of these they have like weird poorly formatted shitty looking advertisements so i created those for my own books one of them you can't even read the price (laughs) with my card table and a sign that said lemonade i was ready i even drew a yellow cross on it get it like first aid but lemon instead of first and aid instead of aid but you can figure out that one all i needed was some lemonade Now at the time, all I had was squeezed lemon juice and brown sugar. This made a delicious lemonade. It was brown, it was very thick, it was grainy, it was warm. And after drinking an entire pitcher, I felt amazing for about 20 minutes. I woke up at the end of the driveway. At some point, I must have rolled down. I don't remember exactly how it happened, but you know, life in food isn't without mishap. (laughs) Haha, one time I found myself trying to use a mixer and my penis got involved, and before I knew it, the, uh, lemon picture... So here's the recipe. I know you really wanted to hear that wonderful story before the recipe, because when you googled lemonade recipe, what you meant was long-winded story about lemonade recipe optional. Recipe. Click here for recipe in slideshow format. Or maybe it's a link to another ad. Roll the dice. Live a little. And that takes you to another another one of my books that you can buy. (laughs) So there you go. Um, that's what I encountered in trying to make iced coffee. But the worst part was this horrible woman who wrote up this, uh, iced coffee recipe, quote unquote, um, had a long, long winded recipe, a long winded winded recipe, whatever. It was a long recipe that, um, in the end was basically, uh, you take, you take like two, containers. You put a bunch of ice in one, you pour the coffee in, then you pour it back and forth between the two containers. Now she must have said five times, this really doesn't melt the ice as much as you would think it would. Like, trust me on this. It even ends and it was like, do you trust me? Then give it a try. It's worth it. And I was like, okay. I mean, I don't know the science of this, but it's, it seems possible. And it's like, I guess I trust this stranger as far as making a single cup of iced coffee, because even if it sucks, whatever. Uh, it turns out I should not have trusted her, 
because she was completely incorrect. The ice all melted almost immediately, as one would probably expect. So, uh... I, <laughs> you know, I just... It was frustrating, um, stupefying, horrifying, and uh, just a bad time. A bad time was had by all, and all was me. So, fuck you, weird lady. And it just goes to show you, like, you know, you put if maybe if you put a little bit more into your iced coffee recipe and a little less into uh, doing it that way, doing this whole story about iced coffee that turns out to be incorrect factually, maybe uh, maybe it'd be better. Secondly, um, if iced coffee, if you can't really make it without doing it ahead of time, I'm okay with that. Just tell me that information. In fact, I'm going to write that. That's going to be my next food blog. It's just going to be like, uh, basically, you're fucked. I mean, you can make it, and it's fine. It's just not as good. You know, you'll you'll regret it. But let the flavor of that guide you towards better decision-making next time. Anyway, so I decided the uh, what the premise of this show is. Or I wouldn't say decided. Discovered. Uncovered in... Uh, Real terms. See, you know, this has been going like almost 10 years, nine and a half, something like that. It's been a long time. It's been a while uh, since I could say that I didn't do a podcast and I could hold my head up high. Um, and it's been long enough that uh, I went back and... So here's the premise of the show. The show was originally intended to be an advice show with writers in slash callers or something. Um, and then nobody called in. So over the years, what we've seen is what happens when an advice show does not receive any requests for advice ever? Um, how does this person kill the time waiting for questions to come in? And what we've seen is this is how somebody kills about 10 years worth of podcast time kind of just waiting for the podcast to catch on and questions to come rolling in. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, also uh, being frustrated about that and taking it out on the listeners of the podcast for not asking advice. That is the premise of this show. Um. I understand that this premise sort of rides the line between fiction and nonfiction, and I accept that. You know, it is what it is. Well, let's just do some life updates. Um, I've been exercising in a home gym, and uh, I've been keeping pretty good to my normal exercise routine, which is, uh, you know, I'm in my mid-30s now. And so what exercise means in your mid-30s is you start doing some kind of a program or something, and then you hurt yourself and recover and then start again. That's the cycle. When you're like young, it's more like don't work out for two weeks, work out hard as fuck one time, uh, be a little sore, but fine. When you're older, it's like, oh my God. So, you know, you just, you get some kind of grievous injury and I'm almost incapable of taking the stairs for a week. Then I, uh, you know, rehab that and get back on track. Then I heard something else and I just, you know, it's like a rotating, it's not really like 
you recover from injury. It's like you have an injury that just moves around to different parts of your body and affects you in different ways. Um, but I'm starting to accept that this is aging. But anyway, I've been working out in a home gym, which is basically just a squat rack and a barbell. <laughs> I'm, I'm being generous in calling that a home gym. Um, and, uh, it's good. I thought, I thought I would miss like going to the gym and maybe I do and don't realize it. Cause I mean, going to the gym was nice cause it broke up the day I have to say, but I was going to a 24 hour fitness that had opened near my work and I do not miss that. That was like bro time, big time. Um, gym bros and I don't know, lady gym bros. I'm going to, I'm going to just say that from now on, on this show, I'm going to use gym bros as a non-gendered term. Cause if you're like a lady gym bro, I think if I say that everybody knows what I'm talking about. So there you go. Uh, gym bros, gym bro central. And, uh, it's, it's just horrible. It's horrible when you go, because, like, uh, I went to a squat seminar to, like, learn how to squat. And it was four hours long, and it was, like, intense direct coaching. And, uh, you know, you do that, and then you go to 24-hour fitness, and some dildo is like, you're not doing that right. And then tells you basically the opposite advice that you just got. And you're like, okay, thanks. <laughs> And, you know, you got to wonder, like, I wonder where this person, if I was more confrontational, I would have asked where they got their advice, but whatever. I do kind of miss going to the family funplex, though. That's kind of like, that's the closest equivalent we have to like a YMCA or something here. And uh, that was all right. I didn't run into as many bros there. And also, it was pretty low key in the evening. Um... So it is, it is nice. It breaks up the day to go somewhere else and exercise. But, you know, the garage has become my new place. And so that's okay. That's going all right. I've been sweeping out the garage and fighting the tide of spiders that have invaded our house to the extent that I've had one spider on my uh, towel, which then made its way onto my body after I showered. I also did have an earwig in my clothing that I put on and then felt something and discovered it was an earwig. Um, we've had, we've had quite a, uh, quite a presence of spiders this year. It's been, uh, not, not great. We also have more wasps. Wasps really like our house. People will tell you that, uh, wasps will not move into the same dwelling that they make, which I think is true. What they will do though, is build a new one directly next door. <laughs> so that's a problem I don't really know how to prevent wasps from showing up and also we're renting so I'm kind of like not as motivated because I think when you rent I'm not like a, a super short term renter where I think like eh, why even take out the garbage but I am a renter on the level of like I'm pretty sure I'm not going to end up here so like next thinking about next summer is kind of just like eh, that's not even real right that's not that's not a guarantee on any for anybody so it's me and the spiders down there 
I exercise among the spiders. I'm I worry that um I worry that they become used to me. You know how they'll say like, "Oh, don't don't approach wildlife because then they get used to people and approach people." And I I would prefer the spiders are afraid of me. But then I also worry that maybe they're learning exercise techniques and I can only hope that human and spider physiology is so different that, you know, human exercises wouldn't really help a spider. I don't know what kind of a squat a dead, a spider would do. It seems like their bodies are pretty low to the ground anyway. They're kind of always in the bottom of a squat position. I don't know. And I would think that it doesn't seem like a wild animals really need exercise per se. <laughs> It kind of seems like when you're a wild animal, you're just like kind of as strong as you are. And so hopefully uh, God rolled the dice on you and you got lucky. It just doesn't seem like uh, animals get stronger. You know, they don't have that. Animals don't have that equivalent of like, I was on the beach and I was a nerd and a guy kicked sand in my face. So then I got ripped and now I'm the sand kicker in the facer. I don't think that narrative or idea even exists in social or social media wild animals um i did go to the store and so okay the store is like post-pandemic store right now um which is weird because uh it's not really seems like it's not post-pandemic as far as the number of people getting sick i'm not sure I don't even know how to talk about it because it's, um, if you say anything like, well, wait a minute, we have the highest number of diagnosed cases, but also I know testing has recently opened up in the last month for, you know, you don't have to have a doctor's prescription and shit. So is it, are there more people who have it or perhaps the same or slightly more people who have it, but now they're being diagnosed, whereas before no one was being diagnosed? I mean... What's going? But you can't ask questions like that without somebody yelling and calling you a sheep, and then somebody else for the exact same reason saying that you must be an anti-vaxer or something. I'm just curious. I'm doing the same thing. I'm just like staying home. But um, I have to say, so a trip to the grocery store. Boy, do I prefer pandemic grocery store. I mean, there's a little less stuff. But only one time that we went was I unable to get, you know, a good amount of stuff. I mean, it seemed like the first time we went to the store in the pandemic times, it was like it, so people had just apparently gone and bought a shitload of ground beef, a shitload of peanut butter, a shitload of toilet paper, and a shitload of eggs. And I don't know what they were doing with all these things, but there you have it. And, uh, but after that, it seemed fine. But then, like, post-pandemic store is getting back to being, like, regular grocery store, which I don't like because it means, like, eh, we're kind of just, like, loafing around in the aisles. You know, I'm going to block this aisle while I'm texting and, like, just kind of stand here. I feel like pandemic time, there's a little bit of panicked edge. And everybody in pandemic treated the grocery store the way Peter treats the grocery store, which is 
Look, this is not like a fun activity. This is not a leisure activity. It's not enjoyable. It's one of the activities that if uh, Peter were wealthy, he would not engage in ever. He would, if, if I was running for president, that would mean I was wealthy. And when they asked that question of like, how much is a gallon of milk? I'd be like, I haven't been inside of a grocery store in like 15 years. And I am very proud of that fact. So I have no idea. I'm not even going to guess because it's just going to be embarrassing. And uh, I think I've proven your point, which is I don't, I'm not in touch with the common man. I agree. But uh, yeah, I, I'm always like, let's just get in and out, man. Let's get in and out as quick as possible. Not because of um, coronavirus, but because of like, ugh, this is just a miserable experience. I just, I don't enjoy it. There's, I don't understand what's enjoyable about it. It's not fun. It's like, let's just do this so then I can go home and cook this food so then it can power my stupid body through another week of injury cycle and work. <laughs> the end. So yeah, I, I wish there should be a store. I They have hours for like vulnerable populations. I wish they would also do hours for like are you a person who just wants to get in and out and like who you kind of knows where the stuff is in the store and kind of knows you don't have to touch 15 different onions to find a good one. And like when you touch the produce, you're like, you know what you're actually looking for. <laughs> but yeah, I miss, I miss the pandemic store. Just a lot of lost middle-aged men wandering around the store. I don't know what to tell I don't know what to tell you um wives of middle-aged men cuz on one hand I feel bad for you cuz it must be maddening. It must be maddening to live with this like worthless human who can't even really navigate the store very well and you're like I thought you went to the store 3 hours ago and he's like yeah I did. How long does it take you? But on the other hand you need to you need to like do something because they're making the rest of us crazy. And like this is not tolerable. Okay, can you can you do something? Help us out. Uh, start like a mothers against drunk driving, but it's like middle aged wives against their husbands going to the store when they don't know what the fuck they're doing. Group. Uh, I okay. I wrote a column about Neil Breen's five-and-a-half-hour retrospective, I think he calls it. Um, which, okay, I saw at some point that this was for sale. And I saw that it cost, like, $150. But I purchased it. Um, judge me if you will. I'm not even going to defend it. Because uh, it just it had to be done, in my opinion. So it had to be done. It is what it is. Uh, so it came, and so there's like a 10-minute trailer for it online, and here's what's... Maybe I can find it. I should just find this, right? Neil Breen Retrospective? Neil Breen 5 Films Dash Retrospective. Okay, so here's his description. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the trailer, because I think it's important that you that you hear what's happening hi this is neil breen 
over the past few years. I just want everyone to, uh, I'm going to start this over so you can make sure and hear the n- amount of background noise occurring in his How to Make a Movie movie. Hi, this is Neil Breen. Over the past few years, I've been asked a number of questions about my filmmaking process. Now, he's sitting in what he later calls his editing bay. It's just a crazy mishmash of wires and monitors. I mean, it looks like an editing bay, I suppose, but um, it's a it's a poorly framed shot. We're just kind of looking at his groin. He's in a polar fleece that he's probably had for 17 years. And uh, yes, I believe many people probably have asked him questions about his process. Um, but I think they may have been more like, how do you come up with this shit? Which is a little different from like, how did you achieve that lighting effect? People in theater audience Q&As ask me, Neil, how have you been able to do this? I get questions online all the time. Neil, how have you been able to write, produce, direct, act, and self-fund five theatrical independent feature films? So I thought I'd take this time to put together what I'm calling a retrospective of how I've been able to do that. I want everyone to know that um, this exact thing is the introduction on the DVD as well. So this is a trailer, but this this is like content for the DVD. So this isn't just selling the DVD. This is considered content. What my process is. This is not a documentary on how I made five indie feature films. That would take hours and hours and hours to do. As it is, this retrospective... That would take hours and hours and hours. Maybe five hours? Maybe an hour per film? That seems like a good amount of time to spend in a, in a retrospective. I mean, I watched a uh, like Nightmare on Elm Street documentary that was like twelve hours or something. But you know, whatever, that's fine if you if you don't feel like doing that. He reiterates many times that it is not. It's a retrospective, but it's not saying how he made all five films. I'm not entirely sure what the difference is, and after having watched the first half. The first DVD of the two, I'm still not entirely sure what the difference is. ...is about five hours long. What I'll be covering is all aspects of my filmmaking process. How I conceptualize a film. Now this was actually... um, Here's what was interesting and disturbing about this. He kind of talked about his... Where he he gets his ideas and how he puts the general outline together. And what he does is he takes like index cards and he, you know, he'll have an idea and he puts it on a card and then he puts it in a box. And he just collects different ideas over a short time and it might be a scene or an idea or just a concept. And then eventually he'll he'll hit on something that kind of turns over in his mind like a rock tumbler style. And that kind of becomes the core. And then he sees how other things fit in with this. And eventually what he'll do is he'll take all these ideas and kind of spread them out and then put them together in a way that... I don't know if he would use the term make sense, and I certainly wouldn't use the term make sense, but, you know, that's the basic idea. 
the disturbing thing about this is I uh, once did this myself with a, a novel that I wrote that never went anywhere. And then um, I had a poetry professor who did the same thing when she was putting her chapbook together. She was like, I didn't know what order to do, so I wrote them all on cards and laid it out on the floor and then rearranged them. <laughs> and I was like, so this seems like a really uh, pretty standard technique. Um, and somehow it still results. I think that's the thing is with Neil. I'm like, okay, but how did you do that and then get this result? How I write the script for the film. Be creative. Okay, that was a hard cut from him in his editing bay to him in what I assume is his living room. Um, and he's got bad southwesty art pieces behind him. And again, his groin is very much in, like, center. And the, the background noise is worse. As a filmmaker, use your imagination. That's what the media is all about. Creativity, imagination, entertaining the audiences, informing the audiences. That's what your goal should be. I write my... That was like a hard cut where he just moves over to the side. Okay, I have to tell you, there's some... There's uh, two things that probably won't come through on this trailer that happen um, that were bizarre. One is in this uh, editing bay sequence, at some point you hear... Uh, kind of sounds like that. And so what's obviously happening is someone's futzing around. Uh, well, it seems that someone is futzing around with the camera behind the camera, which is crazy because this entire movie is static shots of him um, in his living room or in his editing bay. And then, you know, footage from his movies or slideshows of images from the making of movies. Why someone was behind the camera, I'm not sure. And if someone was behind the camera, why were they futzing with the camera? Why did they include that futzing in the actual movie? Like, they didn't even cut that out. But then also, what were they doing there? I mean, the camera's obviously just sitting on a tripod. Why was that person there? I don't understand... It's more confusing to me that there was someone behind the camera for this um, than it would be if there was no one behind. Because I'd just be like, well, yeah, he's just fucking lazy, right? But there was somebody there helping him film this, and yet this is the result somehow. Um, it's like the laziest thing. The other funny thing, though, is he did some ADR. He recorded some extra dialogue, and he didn't, like cut or cut to something else he could have cut to something else and then you wouldn't notice it wouldn't be so jarring but he just throws in the extra dialogue as audio on top of the video track so his mouth isn't moving or something but also he does it in some really unnecessary places there's a part where he's saying he worked while he was making the movie and he's like i would make i would work on the movies on nights and holidays and then he throws in and weekends so it sounds like I was still working at the time, so I would work on the movies on nights and holidays and weekends. And you're like, why would you throw in and weekends? I can I can put I can connect those dots. Right? You you did it when you weren't at work. 
I get the point. It's not like critical information that you're like, fuck, this isn't even going to make sense. It's like just little extra things that really don't even need to be in there. So then to do the extra work of adding them as ADR seems extra silly. Stories and screenplays purposely in order to challenge myself. Challenge myself from a storyline point of view and from a technical point of view. Every film that I've done, I've done more technically advanced work than the prior film. Uh, that is true. <laughs> I can agree with that. He does do more in each movie. Each movie definitely is a building, and he tries something new. I mean, I'll give him those, uh, those factors. Agreed, Neil. The challenge is that, that I give to myself is to do things I've never done before. How I plan around the budget for the film. Okay, so, I mean, the whole project, I think, is tainted with this irony because you're like, this is a movie about how to make movies, and it is possibly one of the poorly most poorly made movies I've ever seen. Um, there's also a brief sequence in here that I expect will be enhanced in the second disc, which is, I'm pretty sure Neil is trying to find financiers for his upcoming movie. He wants to work with a bigger budget. Um, I don't, I'm not going to go so far as to say he created this in order to find those people, because that would be pretty crazy. But if I were to go as far to say that, I would say, well, finding people who are who've got 150 bucks to blow on this, um, that might be a good barrier towards like, well, maybe that is your target audience. I don't know. I just I I do think Neil Breen is probably the guy who should be on like Kickstarter. I mean, if he was like, we'll put your name in the credits of my next movie, I think people would probably do it. I think you could make some chunk of change there. I don't know, I don't know enough about films and filmmaking to know whether or not you could like return your investment if you made a Neil Breen film and put it in theaters. My actual film production process. My editing of the film this is the edit this is like part of what's painful about it too it's like he talks so slowly and with so many pauses you're like you know if you'd like if you cared i think this could have been three hours long instead of five hours long <laughs> neil um I'll just kind of summarize what I've seen so far and explain why I haven't made it back in, why I haven't been able to dive into the other disc. Uh, he talked about his creative process. That was boring. I mean, it's all basic shit. I guess one of his, uh, you know, it's like uh, advice like, have a job because if you aren't relying on your movie to make income for you, then you can do whatever you want and it's a lot easier. You're like, hey, okay. That's actually sound advice. Um, he then shows, he has a long sequence where he's showing lighting effects. 
And basically what he did is he cut his own boards to put over lights to create different lighting effects, which I have to be perfectly honest and say I'd never noticed the lighting in his movies, which doesn't necessarily mean it's amazing. I mean, it must not be terrible because I never really noticed it. It's probably a little overdone. But to be honest, if someone's critiquing the lighting in a Neil Breen movie, I think they're missing the forest for the trees there. For sure. It's like, if everything in these movies was good enough that we were talking about the lighting, um, boy, that would be that would be something. Something I'll say about a Neil Breen movie is like, sometimes you watch like a terrible movie, like a bad movie. Um, but I think what separates a good, bad movie and a bad, bad movie is in a bad, bad movie, you can't, you know, like the audio is really bad and you can't really tell what they're saying or like the picture is murky and you can't tell what's going on or like, am I supposed to be seeing something in the background here? Cause I'm not seeing shit. And Neil's movies, like, you do know what you're supposed to be looking at. You do know the effect he's going for, even if he doesn't achieve it. So I'll say that, like, the production value is not bad. But it almost seemed like this lighting section was so extensive. It almost seemed to me like it was a response to someone at some point had critiqued his lighting efforts. You know, that somebody was like, oh, the lighting in his movies is so lazy and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I'll show you fucking lazy. And he's like, look at all this shit I did. But um, I have to say, it was uh, on me, it was a wasted effort. I didn't notice the lighting or, you know, for better or worse. Um, probably the worst part of this movie is, so a solid hour of the first DVD is what he calls character sketches. So I thought this was going to be about how he finds characters and stuff like that. Which, by the way, one of the things I was looking forward into this movie was he was going to talk about his casting process. Um, Poonmaster Flex and I are fairly certain, because he's a Las Vegas guy, and based on some of the people who've been in his movies, it seems that he may be hiring um, ladies of the night slash exotic dancers. Wouldn't surprise me too much, um, because they would be available for the movie. But uh, he didn't. He didn't say n- he didn't do that. But he basically all he said about casting was he does it very professionally, and uh, he pays everyone in his movies. Like he doesn't have like you know his uncle in the movie and then not pay him. I was like, well, I guess that's something. But uh, wasn't wasn't the dirt I wanted to hear? I I guess maybe what I want to hear is the. Uh, the disaster artist of a Neil Breen movie, but maybe because he's the only one involved, there is no the disaster artist for him. So anyway, then he does character sketches, and basically all this is is just scenes from his movies. So it's an hour of just random shit. This it makes an excellent like Neil Breen supercut, you know, where you're just like, this is crazy shit. I mean, if you just wanted to take some weird shit from all his movies and see it all at once, it's pretty good for that. I almost think this was maybe some kind of a sizzle reel. Uh, for, I don't know for what. Um, maybe for him, is like he's like, hey, I could direct the next Avengers. Look at all this stuff. <laughs> but 
I don't know if it works that way. And also, it, it just seems like it's thrown together. He doesn't even comment on it. You know, he has a section before that where it's production stills. And he's like, this is us making Double Down. And that's where you can see we rented the, um, I don't even know, some piece of equipment. We rented a dolly. And that's the dolly. And here's the problem. He talks a lot about equipment they rented and how it usually didn't work. Um, or, you know, he's like this shot we achieved by having someone sit in a wheelchair with the camera and I pushed him down the hallway and you're like, eh, it actually looks pretty good. That's some good stuff. But, um, he's, he's just sort of lazily commenting and a lot of the pictures, he's just like, that's faithful findings. This is also from faithful finding, you know, he's not telling you anything about them. Um, and they're not like interesting picture. Here's where we ate lunch that day. <laughs> okay. Um, so then, the, yeah, and then it just goes into the character sketch. And he's not commenting on it at all. It's just playing clips from the movies. And this went on for about 20 minutes before I was like, okay, I've seen these movies. So I'm going to just fast forward and get to the next part. And it turned out that was the entire remaining hour of the first disc was just basically recycled material. And that, that kind of fried me. I was a little burned out after that. So I uh, discontinued my, my viewership of Neil Breen's five-film retrospective. So hopefully I'll get back to it and I'll have more to report to you. Although maybe, maybe it's better if I don't. Maybe it's just like, hey, look, man, if you get back to it, great. If you don't, whatever. Because like... I can't imagine anyone actually wants to hear my sort of half-assed rendition of what it is. Um, but if you don't want to hear that, I don't know why you're listening to this, because it's exactly the kind of thing I would talk about while apparently waiting for people to write in with their problems. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time.